All right, good morning. How are we doing? That was encouraging. Wow. I'm a guest. You're supposed to be nicer than that. Good morning. How are we doing? All right, my name is Jake, and it is glad to be here. Uh, anytime I get a chance to stand before you guys, I always want to remember just to say thank you. Um, our ministry in Cedar Rapids exists because of the vision and generosity of you and your leadership, and we are ever grateful. We love you guys. So it is a privilege uh, to get to be down here and share with you, and to be here uh, on Baptism Sunday is pretty excited. So. Uh, this is this is a joy for me. Uh, help me feel welcome. Maybe you know could d- divide up some amens. I need like three or four. I don't care where it comes from, um, but you can you can decide that and we'll go. How many of you guys uh, like fishing? Amen. Okay. So, <laughs> what's your name? David and I like fishing. So, uh, and there's some other hands here, but uh, enjoy fishing. I just uh, recently got back from my fishing trip. Once a year, we go up to the Boundary Waters and, and just spend a week in the woods and we fish. It's kind of therapy, fishing trip wrapped in one. Um, it's, a, it's a great time. But in fishing, you take bait or a lure and you put it before fish, hoping they go after it to, to catch them. And you, you present something that they want, and then when they get it, it leads them to places they don't want to be. Hopefully my belly. Uh, But that's kind of fishing. Now, when it comes to us, uh, do you ever feel like there are lures that get dangled in front of you that are tempting to chase after? You're just like, yeah, all the time, right? Every commercial that we watch, you go to a friend's house, usually leave wanting something they have to make an improvement to your home, or how many of you guys watch Covet TV? I mean, HGTV. You guys watch that one? Yeah, like everything that's kind of put before us, it just kind of reminds us of things that we want. There's like all these kind of lures that, that are tempting for us to chase after, and that's just kind of like big picture context, like in the world we live in, there's a ton of things kind of baiting us to chase after, but is there anything specific for you? Like, does something come to mind? Like, man, I I just want this. I want, you know, that 70-inch TV or the projector or that car or a home like this or... um I was teaching out this passage in, in Cedar Rapids, and I was saying, one of the things that I covet, um, I just want, is, is a paved fire pit. And my life would be better if I had a fa- paved fire pit. I told my wife, like, we just need this. She wasn't convinced. Um, and then uh, I went on a, a fishing trip, and I come back, and two guys from my old connection group paved a fire pit in my backyard. It was so sweet, which I realized at that moment, I should have said, I, I covet Lamborghinis. I really want Lamborghinis. And I missed that opportunity. But there's things that we all kind of like, I just really, really want this. And I have a strong desire for it. And the Bible uh, warns us against those emotions or those feelings that the Bible word for it is coveting. Which just kind of communicates this, uh, uh, just being consumed with desire. You're just so consumed with your desire for something. Like, I gotta have it. Um, We convince ourselves that I'll be happier if I get it. Um, We make life about pursuing it and achieving it or grasping it. Uh, And coveting is very dangerous. Now, it's hard to see it as something as dangerous because it comes from within. Like, it's our own heart. Like, how, why would I want something for myself that would be bad for myself? So we don't always see coveting as dangerous, but coveting or maybe we'll use this word, greed, it'll mess you up. Like, like it'll begin to whisper in your ear and it will sound like your friend and it'll capture your heart and it'll begin to change your, your 
passions and your priorities and your perspective and it can do some damage. Now lucky for us, uh, Jesus one time told a story about the dangers or the foolishness of coveting and how to guard against it. Uh, and we're going to look at that story. Uh, when Jeff invited me to come down here, he just said, just pick something you've been doing and we've been doing parables. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll grab a parable. Uh, you guys are working through the book of Matthew, so you've, you've seen or you've worked through some of these parables that Jesus would teach in parables often. There's these short stories that packed a punch and it had a point, and, and that's kind of the point of stories even today. Like, we're a group of people that are shaped by stories, and the stories that we have in our culture reflect our cultural values, or they try to reinforce our beliefs and our values. Um, they, they carry a point to shape us, and Jesus told stories with a point to shape his followers, and as his followers, we should understand the stories he told and the message behind those. Now, in our culture, sometimes stories start off reflecting uh, a value or trying to communicate a point, and then it gets changed um, to reflect new values or communicate a different point. You see this uh, in fairy tales. Like, there's fairy tales that maybe your kids are used to, and then there's the original Brothers Grimm, and they're, they're a little bit different. Um, for example, like the, the Three Little Pigs, right? We know how that story goes. You know, they build a sticks and straw, but the wolf huffs and puffs and blows those down. And what do the pigs do? You've never heard that story? You should read them. They're good. Uh, they run to their brother's house, right? And eventually they get to the one uh, with the brick and they're safe. Not true. In the original, uh, they get eaten. They're eaten by the wolf. Like It's kind of like, hey, if you're lazy, somebody's going to eat you. That was the message. But now it's, it's different. Or Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Like we, we know that. It's like it's a nice little bear family. And you've got a mama bear and a papa bear and a little baby bear. And, and Goldilocks, a sweet little girl, kind of accidentally wanders into a house. And, and, and bears don't eat people. They eat porridge, right? And you, you're going to make it out safe. Uh, not so. It was just three bears originally, and it was, I think it was an old lady uh, who was mad that bears moved into her neighborhood, so she wants to kind of be nosy, and the bears throw her in the fire, so it didn't work out well for her. Um, I hate to ruin these if you're like having bedtime stories with your kids, but uh, we'll take it one more since I'm just a guest. Uh, the li- <laughs> yeah, the, the Little Mermaid, right? We know that's just, just this treasured story where this mermaid falls in love, she sees this prince, and that, that's the guy I want, I'm just going to wish for and then I can be with the man that I love forever and it all works happily ever after. Disney got it wrong. Uh, it's not how it happens. She wishes for a different context to be with, with this man and uh, so she gets legs and then the prince uh, marries another girl. So welcome to real life. Uh, <coughs> and then she's really upset uh, and then she dies and kind of turns into sea foam or something like that. Um, but those are like, those are difficult stories to tell at bedtime. Like how are you going to communicate that to your kid? Like the, the original uh, uh, Snow White, you know, like when she kind of ate the apple and went into this deep sleep. When she woke up, all her friends were dead because she's been, you know, asleep so long. How do you tell your kid that at bedtime? It's like, did you eat anything you weren't supposed to tonight? (laughs) See you in the morning. Maybe. Maybe. Sleep tight. But we change these, like we change the stories to communicate a different value or communicate a different point. Um, And in our culture, it's just like everything will work out. Everything's going to work out. Listen, you can always run to your brother's house, right? Bears just eat porridge in this world. You, you know what? If you're the mermaid, you should be able to get your prince and go back to the sea anytime you want to. Like, that's the kind of idea that we buy into and we kind of change those to make a different point. 
Um, but, but Jesus' parables that he told uh, were less like Disney and more like the original Brothers Grimm's. Uh, they were tragic tales. I mean, sometimes they're ending with getting thrown into outer darkness and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that's just kind of ends the story. Like, they're meant to be warnings. And the story that we're going to look at today has a tragic ending. I'll spoil it for you. There's one character and he dies. Um, but, but it's a warning. And, and it's meant to be a warning for us. And hopefully, um, we will take it as a warning because it's dealing with some really serious stuff that we need to consider. And this may be one of the most, I don't want to oversell it, but it may be one of the most convicting parables specifically for our culture. Specifically for our context. In this parable, I feel like it's where following Jesus and the American dream really collide. And we've tried to even Disney that. Like, no, it works. Like, you can follow Jesus and it fits right into the American dream and you can have it both ways. Um, but, but it seems like there's, there's a collision in this parable uh, between those two. And listen, whether we realize it or not, like, we've just grown up breathing the air of the American dream. Right? And, and there's a reason why people like to come to this country. Like, this is the land of opportunity. And if you work hard and you get a good job, um, you can someday own your own home. And, and you, can, you can have cable and you can go out to eat and you can enjoy nice vacations. I mean, this, this is a good life. And if you work hard, then someday you can get a nicer, bigger home. And you can go on better vacations. And you can drive a fancier car. And you can get a boat. And you can go golfing more often. And you can have a, a place in Florida or a cabin in the woods. Right? You can enjoy retirement. Now, let's be honest. For, for us, how many of that sounds like a good idea? Okay. There's like eight of us in a room full of liars, right? <laughs> I don't know what they teach you down here. That's, yeah, like that's, that's kind of everybody's plan. Like that's what we're after. Like we would, we would love to attain that. Listen, and I'm not even saying that that is necessarily wrong. But listen to me. When, when that's the dream of our culture... When that's like the goal of everybody's life in our culture, and that's what everybody's chasing and pursuing, how do we protect our own heart? How do we protect our own desires? How, how do we protect our own, own desires from just jumping on that bandwagon and, and, and making life about those things and just craving the same stuff everyone else is? And I just, I just want to get to here, and I want to get to here, and I want, then I want to get this. And we just make life about those things. So here, here's the question that I want to raise this morning. How do we protect ourselves from greed? Listen, no matter what income bracket you're in, no matter where you even stand with Jesus at this point, nobody in this room says, I just, I just really hope to become more greedy this year, right? Nobody looks at their kids and thinks, well, I hope they grow up to be greedy people. That's not something we desire, but here's something that we all need to know. No matter what your income is, no matter where you're at with Jesus, th this is true for all of us. Greed is a real threat to all of us. None of us in here are above that. Everyone in here is vulnerable and susceptible to kind of being led astray, lured away by the materialistic world that we live in and leading us to greed. And if we are not on our guard against it, if we don't know how to guard our own heart against greed, it will begin to whisper in your ear and sound like your friend. And it will begin to shape your passions and then your perspective and pretty soon your pursuits. And it will lead to a foolish life and a tragic end. 
So the parable that we're going to look at today is called the rich fool. And I'm guessing we want to be one of those, but not both of them. Um, so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at this parable, the rich fool. It's going to start in verse 13. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there, turn your phone on, follow along. If not, I think we've got the words on the screen, but we're going to jump right in. Luke 12, verse 13. Let's kind of sets up the context before he tells the story. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? I can't read that without thinking Jesus is being rude, like the street guy. Like, man, why, why, why am I supposed to do that? Like, why are you coming to me to, for this problem? So these brothers are having an inheritance dispute. They've inherited some money. And the older brother feels like he's not dividing or giving the other brother his share. Um, so the younger brother, he goes to Jesus to try to solve this problem, which was a very common thing to do. You would go to a rabbi to kind of speak into your issues because rabbis were supposed to know the law and they can speak wisdom and kind of try to solve your problems. Um, but if you're really concerned about the law, I mean, we can sum that up and love God and love your neighbor. So is that what's motivating you to find an answer here? Is that why you want the money? You just kind of, you know, can't wait to build this orphanage? That's why you want this money? Or are you thinking about yourself? Like, why are you going to a rabbi for this advice? Because rabbis, I mean, they're probably not going to, you know, look at your portfolio. They're, you know, they're going to go beyond that. They're going to go deeper. I mean, you're not going to go to a pastor for financial advice necessarily. I mean, can you imagine going to Mark and just say, hey, Mark, I got a ton of extra money. What do you think I should do with it? Now, he would love to have that conversation. Um, but what, he's probably not going to talk stock market with you. He's, you know, he's going to think beyond that. He's going to have an eternal perspective. He's going to bring a, a pastoral perspective to that. And they're going to a rabbi uh, for, for some financial advice. But, but what Jesus does is he, he goes to the deeper issue. We'll see that. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So he comes to this, like, solve this money problem. He's like, oh, oh, check yourself. Like, man, watch your heart. I mean, you know life's not about just a bunch of stuff. And he gives him this command, or this warning to be on your guard, to get your guard up against covetousness. And he tells him, you, you, you know life is not about an abundance of possessions, right? And we know that, Right? I mean, you, you would amen that. I mean, you would have if you were more comfortable in church saying amen. But it's like, we know that life's not about abundance of possessions. And yet, when we look at our life, we spend so much time and energy and passion pursuing possessions. Guys, it's, it's dangerous. It's tricky and it's dangerous. Like, I don't know if you, you remember uh, the, the Lord of the Rings movies or the Hobbits or the books. You guess where my nerd's at. Okay. In there, I think in the Hobbit book, the Tolkien refers to it as like the dragon sickness, right? You get, you just kind of, this gold, like I need it, and it just, it changes your attitude, it changes your heart, you're kind of shutting other people out. Like, it, it's tricky, it's, it's dangerous, and it, it will, it will get to us. And Jesus has a story lesson for this guy, and it's a story lesson for us. That we need to learn. How are we going to guard ourselves against greed? How are we going to protect ourselves in this materialistic world where everything's bombarding us? Um, how are we going to protect ourselves from, from coveting, from our own desires, our own wants, kind of taking us places we don't want to go? For our own kind of coveting desires to take us uh, to a place where we're living a foolish life that has a tragic ending. And that's what we want to figure out. So here's the story. It says, and he told them, a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So this is like a real tragic problem. Like, oh no, I had too good of a year, right? This is just, I don't know what to do with all my stuff. My three-car garage is full. I got to build a shed now. Like, what? how am I going to manage the prosperity uh, that I'm feeling? So it's totally like first world problem this guy's having, but that's his issue. He says this, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So this guy lives the American dream. Like, he's it. He's like the poster child. He's, he's successful. He, he, I mean, he, he could write a book, right? How to have bigger barns. You'd buy that book. Don't lie. You'd buy that book, right? How, how, do you, how am I supposed to have bigger barns? How do I increase this? Like, we look at this guy and think he was successful. Like, he did it. He had a good business. He invested. He expanded. And now he can live a good life where he can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Like, this is a guy we look at and think he, he arrived. And notice there is a philosophy behind this kind of living. There, there's a type of thinking that led him to this type of living. So we kind of need to examine even our type of thinking. And the type of thinking that he had that's exposed in this parable that led to these kind of life choices were this. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Like that, that's his philosophy that's driving his life choices. Is that, is that the philosophy that's driving your life choices? I mean, when you look at life, is, is that what success looks like? Man, if I could just... If I could just get to a more comfortable, comfortable position, if I could just have more time to relax, if I could uh, just, just, you know, eat and drink more on the weekend so I can have more joy, if I, like that, it's a pursuit of happiness, right? Because the end goal is that I can be merry, that I could be glad, that I can enjoy life. Is that what success looks like for you? Because here, here's the twist in the story. And if you're familiar with Jesus' parables, there's often a twist. It's like, oh, the Samaritan was the good guy. Or, oh, the father runs out to receive him. Like, there's a twist coming. And here's the twist in this story. Um, verse 20. But God said to him, what? Fool. God looks at our poster child, like the guy that we might make, man, I want to be like that guy. I want success like that guy. I want to accomplish what he's accomplished. God looks at him and says, man, you're an idiot. You're a fool. I mean, what do you mean fool? Like, he was pretty successful. He had some business savvy. Like, what makes him foolish? What makes him foolish in God's eyes? Like, where did he go wrong? Because if, if we kind of, at first part of this parable, kind of admire him, or at least want the success that he has, and then uh, the twist comes when Jesus acknowledges that he's a fool, like, okay, well, I don't want to be that guy. I mean, I want success, but I don't want God to look at me like a fool. So what makes him foolish? Where, where did he go wrong? Now, if we go back to the beginning of the story, what do we know about this guy right off the bat? So the land of uh, what? Land of... Uh, this is where I pause and you participate. Yeah, a rich man, right? The land of a rich man. This, this guy is, is already rich at the beginning. This is before this, this year of plenty. Now, I know it's popular to kind of typecast rich people as the bad guys. You know, if you're wealthy, you must be something wrong with you or, or, or evil at times. But the Bible uh, it doesn't say anything about this wrong to be, to be rich. Uh, in the Bible, there's many examples of godly, wealthy people, and um, there's 
wicked wealthy people and there can be godly people that are poor and, and ungodly people that are poor. That's not a correlation to your wealth. But the Bible does have some specific warnings towards the wealthy. Um, because this prosperity can be a tough test to pass. However, this parable is not condemning wealth. This parable is showing the foolishness of greed. And no matter what you make, we're all susceptible to greed in our lives. And this guy, in this case, he's already rich. It's just, it's just not enough. Or if he gets more, he wants to apply it to himself. He's not content or realize what he already has. He's just thinking about expansion. And he's thinking about himself. Let's reread that, that main section again. And I want you to notice where his focus is. So verse 17, he says, And he thought to himself. So right away, he's making decisions by himself. And we all know that we make the best decisions by ourselves. Right? Sarcasm. I hope nobody's writing that down. Like, that's their takeaway. Make best decisions by myself. No, that's just sarcasm there, okay? So he's like, he's thought to himself. So he's kind of isolated himself. And he's just kind of dealing with his own uh, internal wisdom. And this is where his focus is. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have laid up ample goods, laid up for many years, relax, eat, and drink, marry, be merry. He has this self-focus. Like he's consumed with himself, he's consumed with his situation. That's what's captivating his attention. Now, guys, again, it's not wrong that his fields produce plentiful. It's not wrong that his fields produce plentiful. Financial success is not the problem. The problem is what he did with it. Problems with what he, he did with it. It's not about what he made. It's about what he kept. And, and listen to me. And why he kept it. Why he kept it. See for him. His actions are driven by this philosophy. That my life is about my prosperity. It's about my betterment. It's about my improvement. It's about my enjoyment. And I'm going to improve the quality of my life. It's about getting to that place where I can relax, where I can eat, drink, and be merry, where I can have joy. And I'm telling you, those that think their joy is connected to their prosperity in this life will try to hoard every blessing to put it towards their own lifestyle. You get that? If you think your joy is connected to your prosperity on this earth, you will try to hoard every blessing that comes your way and put it towards the own increase of your own lifestyle. That's how you will see blessings. And he assumed that this money that he had come across, it was just an, a, a plentiful year. He got more than he expected. Like, I wasn't expecting this money, just like these guys weren't expecting this inheritance. It just kind of came our way. And this guy in the story had extra money come his way. And he assumed that, that, that this extra money was for himself. And, and, and this extra money was going to make his life better. Like, this is my ticket. That this is my path to a better life. This is where I'm going to find my joy. But look what happens next. Because this is what makes him foolish. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So he dies. And now he's saying, okay, now what? Now let's examine this guy's life. And up to this point, you can think this guy is being smart. Like he's pouring back in. He's investing into his own business. Uh, he's planning ahead. But Jesus says he didn't plan far enough ahead. He didn't plan far enough ahead. Uh, and the answer to the question in verse 20 is what? 
So the question that gets posed is, this night your soul's required of you and the things that you have prepared, all the things that you've kind of prepared for yourself, whose will they be? That's the question. All your stuff now, whose will they be? And what's the answer to that question? Someone else. They're going to be someone else's. That's where all your stuff is going. Listen, someday, this applies to everybody, someday you are going to be extremely generous, but not by choice. Someone else is going to live in your house. Someone else is going to drive your car. Like you, you can't take it with you, right? Like it's going to go away. And, and he's foolish because he's, he's living like this life is, is all there is. And it, it's about him. And he's saying, you're going to have a bigger perspective than that. And if that's the case, then generosity, there, there's a limited window for generosity. Like your only chance to be generous is while you're alive. But when you're dead, like there's going to come a time when time's up and you will no longer have an opportunity to be generous. But he's missing this. Like he had this perspective that this life was about himself. This life was about, um, you know, his, his prosperity and, and his joy. And this is, this is all there is. Like it was all that he's living for. But before Jesus even went into this story, he told him, you know life is about more than just abundance of possessions, right? He offers this kind of eternal perspective. And even the character in the story seems to acknowledge this eternal perspective. Because when he talks to himself, uh, how does he do it? He says this. I will say to my what? My soul. Soul. Like he knows I'm more than just physical body. Like I have a soul. But he's addressing his soul. But he's, he's living very temporary with a temporary mindset. Like does it, do what, the, what you're doing or the choices you're making, do you think that's good for your soul? Is that what your soul's craving? More food and drink and time to be merry? Is that what feeds your soul? Or is that what feeds your flesh? Do you think that's good for your soul? Or would your soul come alive more with other things like generosity? Does that feed your soul better? But he has this eternal like language, but yet he doesn't have this eternal practice in his life. In fact, in his life, he has a very temporal practice where he's living like this life is all there is. In fact, the language that he uses, eat, drink, and be merry, was kind of like a, a cultural saying. Um, it, it, for our day, it might be like, hey, you only live once, right? That's a lie. Um, or, you know, let's live it up. It's the weekend or, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere, whatever it may be. But we have sayings that kind of promote a certain lifestyle. It's like, hey, eat, drink, and be merry. Right? It's this idea kind of promoting a way you should live your life. And it's interesting. It's the same language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, listen, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, like if that's not legit, if that didn't happen, then eat, drink, and be merry. It's like, this is how you should live if this is all that there is. If, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then yeah, this should, this should be what defines our lifestyle. But if Jesus did raise from the dead, then there's a different way to live than this. And this guy in the story is living, even though he's using kind of eternal language, or maybe even though he shows up to church on Sunday, even though that he could get, you know, the test question right, yeah, I have a soul, he's still living as if this life is all there is. Is that how you're living? Do you live this life as if this life is all there is? Do you live this life as if it's all about you? 
Do, do, you, do you put um, too much stock and pressure? Is, is this life, like however many years you think you have, has it become too big a deal to you? And I've got to cram all my hopes and dreams in, in these kind of, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Like I've got to get it all in, right? I've got to fulfill all my hopes and dreams in, in this life. Like you put all your hopes and dreams in, in this life. Is that for you? Because can you imagine? I mean, what if I die and I never got to like stay in one of those huts out in Tahiti that are over the water? Like that would be awesome, right? What if I, what if I go through life and I never get that? What if I go through life and I never get married? What if I go through life and I never have kids? What if I go through life and I never get to walk my daughter down the aisle? What if, what if I, you know, have to stay in this job for the rest of my life? What if I, I go through all of my life with laminate countertops, right? How could I? Like we just want to kind of fulfill everything and just kind of pack it in there. And Jesus looks into this kind of dramatic fight these brothers are having and he tells them, stop fighting over money. It's not that big a deal. You think it's going to make you happy and it's not. You think you need that inheritance and you don't. Watch, watch your heart. Check your coveting here. And I was trying to think of my own life, like, where, where might we feel these emotions? Because chances are a lot of us in here maybe aren't in the midst of an inheritance dispute with family. I mean, maybe some of you are. I was surprised afterwards how many people came down and, and shared their stories when we talked about this in Cedar Rapids. But, but chances are a lot of us aren't. Like, where else might we feel this, this, uh, this emotion rise up in us? And one, one thought that came to my mind and um, what was, let, let's say we, we get a president that wants to really raise my taxes. And I, I want, and I got Jesus there that I can go to, to to speak into this issue. Like Jesus, you tell big brother to keep his hands out of my pockets. Because I earn this money and I work for this and I deserve this. I think I might be upset with Jesus' answer. Because where I'm wanting Jesus to solve a specific problem, I think he goes beyond that and deeper and he goes right to my heart and it's just like, okay, why is that such a big deal to you? Check your heart. Like, you know life is not about money, don't you? But when we have things that we think, no, this is mine. Or, or if somebody's keeping something from me that I think is mine. Or somebody's trying to take something from me that I think is mine. And it is key. I think it's key to my joy. My guard goes up. And I want to fight. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Put your guard up against Greed. Put your guard up against coveting because that will punch you in the face. And it will wreck your life. That's what you need to put your guard up against. So how, how do we do that? When, when coveting can be so sneaky and it could just begin to whisper in your ear like, like it just kind of sneaks up on you and it sounds like your friend at first and all of a sudden you're leading a foolish life headed towards a tragic end. How are we to guard against greed. Look at verse 20 and 21 again. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have, been, have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. No, the warning at the beginning before we even started into the story was to guard against coveting or to guard against greed. Now the answer in how we do this is to be rich towards God. But this is the only place in scripture where that term is used. And it can be like an odd term. What does it mean to be rich towards God? 
Well, the way that he uses it in the story kind of sets it up as a contrast. He says, um, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So he sets up this contrast. In, in other words, it's like, so um, it's, it's different. Being rich towards God is the opposite of, of living for yourself. You, you could put it this way. We are rich towards God when we are generous towards others. Like God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your stuff. And we could talk for a while even if it's your money, right? But God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your stuff. So what does it mean for me to be rich towards God? But think about this. You can do things with money that express a belief and a trust in God. You can do things with money that express and kind of reflect like I believe in God. I believe in eternity. I trust in God's word. I can do things with money. This is why I can, I, I, like you can actually do things with money that bring pleasure to God. Like how cool is that? But maybe it requires a different perspective. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that every blessing that comes to you is for you? Do you think that every blessing that comes to you is for you? This, this farmer had a good year. He had extra. And he assumed the extra was for himself. And you think that's a safe assumption. Like it's my farm. It's my field. It's my crops. It's my extra. Like I can get that to conclusion. The irony is a farmer. And if anybody knows their dependence upon God for their life, it would be a farmer. Like, who makes the sun come up? Who makes the rain come down? Who makes the rain come down in the right amounts? Like, even this year, it's been tough to get crops in because of the amount of rain we had early on. Like, farmers know their dependence upon God. And maybe you're not a farmer. Maybe you forget who's even behind where you were born the gifts that you have, the family that you were born into. You're like, well, I got a work ethic. Well, where did you get that work ethic? Like we can forget the God behind everything. So, so do you assume the extras for you? Do you assume the extras for you? And listen, I'm, I know it's a buzzword right now. I'm not talking about socialism, like forced disbursement of wealth. I'm talking about you willingly and passionately being generous. Do you, do you assume that the extra is for you? What if any time any of us came across some extra... Maybe it was an inheritance. Maybe it's a bonus. Maybe it's a promotion. What if anytime any of us came across extra, before we just jumped in, a lot of us, we even like have that money spent before we even get it. Like we know what we're going to do with it next. But what if anytime we, we get extra, we would, we would pause and we would pray and we would look outward. I think, God, you, you treat me far better than I deserve. I have cars, plural, to drive. I live in a home. There's food in my refrigerator. I was able to go on a fishing trip. I have, uh, you know, take nice vacations. And yet, in your grace that is beyond my imagination, you continue to be good to me. I have more than I need. Before I kind of do the next thing I want to do, what if I looked outward and be like, is anybody around me in need? Because maybe we should consider that maybe this is a blessing that's meant to go through me and not to me. Because it all will eventually anyways. And life is not about abundance of possessions. Let me think about it this way. Do you think every time your income goes up, your lifestyle should go up? If we like, if I make this much money, then I'm going to live in a house that reflects that. I'm going to drive a car that reflects that. I'm going to take vacations that reflect that. And if I make this much money, then I'm going to live in a house that reflects that. And I'm going to drive a car that reflects that. And if I make this much money, then I'm going to live in a house that reflects that. And I'm going to take vacations that reflect that. 
Is that how it goes? I mean, is anything wrong with that? Because I can see the problem of it's like, well, I make this much money and I live in a house that makes me look like this and I drive a car. Like, I'm living beyond my means. So what, what's the concern of, of living, you know, living to my means? Like, what's the concern there? Listen, greed. If it's always climbing this ladder, I'm going to make this much, and then I'm going to live this much, I'm going to make this much, and then I'm going to do this much, and then I'm going to get this, and then I'm going to get this. It's like just kind of climbing that ladder, making life about those things and attaching our happiness to it. Guys, listen, the, the point of this parable is not to be generous. The point of this parable is to protect yourself from greed. These brothers are having a dispute, and he tells them right off the bat, watch out, man. Watch out for covetousness. All kinds. Be on your guard. And then he goes into this story. And the story is about a rich guy who was selfish rather than generous. And then he died. It's like, okay, let's, let's examine his financial choices now. Let's examine his life choices. Because in a perspective of eternity and the shortness of this life, do you think he made smart choices? The warning is about greed. The story is about generosity. And here's the connection. Generosity guards against greed. Generosity guards against greed. And sometimes, if you don't hear anything else, I think this is an applicable perspective change that we need to have. Sometimes I think it's, it's common for us to look at generosity and think, yeah, that's something I should do. Yeah, I really ought to do that. Yeah, I'm called to do that. But listen to me, church. We need to look at generosity as a necessary protection. As if I'm not being generous, I am so vulnerable to be led astray by greed. If I'm not being generous, I'm so exposed to kind of let covetousness sneak into my life and lead me to foolish living and a tragic ending. Like, I, I need to build it into my life. I need to build it into my budget. It's like, it's needed for protection. Like, that's how you guard against greed. That's how you guard against the dangers and the trickiness of this materialistic world kind of pulling us in different directions. Like, you need to, you need to practice generosity for your own protection. It's how you put your guard up against it. That's how you do it. Now, why would you do it? Why would you, why would you guard against greed? Why, why would anybody be motivated to say, like, no, I don't need bigger barns. <laughs> I'm good. When they could do it. What would motivate anybody to do that? Now, don't miss this. This is important. This guy is asking Jesus for help in an inheritance dispute. Anybody pick up on the irony? That this guy is asking Jesus Christ for help in an inheritance dispute. I think that's funny. I think that's ironic when you look at this story in the context of the Gospel of Luke and in the context of all of Scripture. Because Jesus, you don't have to fight about inheritance stuff anymore. You don't have to give in to greed of wanting more and to get ahead. Listen, Jesus offers a better inheritance. It's all over, all over scripture. I grabbed a couple passages to, to share with you. This one is, I'm not sure what this one is. This one is Colossians. It says this, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the what? 
inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's another one in Romans. It says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. To the, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Like all this stuff, whether it's suffering or prosperity, it doesn't compare to what's ahead of me. And I have an inheritance. And no matter what kind of extreme makeover you can do, it's not going to compare to what Christ has for you. Like don't get lost in it. Don't settle for the American dream. Have the kingdom dream. Where you're living not just for the day where you can golf more and eat merry and, you know, and relax. Live for the day that, that finally Jesus returns and he wipes every tear from your eye and he makes all things new and he says well done good and faithful servant. Live for that day. You can, you can put it this way if you're a note taker. Guard against greed in this life by keeping your eyes on the next life. Guard against greed in this life by keeping your eyes on the next life. Guys, when we are confident in our inheritance with Christ, generosity comes so much easier. It comes so much easier. Like, the love of, of, of money is overcome by the love of Christ. When we're not consumed by the things of this world because we're consumed by Christ and who he is and what he offers and what he promises and we see it as better. Do you know that this scenario, this story would have gone so differently if this brother would have realized who he's talking to and what that person offers? Can you imagine this, this fight over an inheritance between these brothers and if he got it? <laughs> no, no, brother, seriously, you keep the inheritance, right? No, you, you take mom and dad's Toyota. I'm fine. I got an diff- uh, inheritance. It's different. It's a crown. It's eternal life. I'm good. You drive the Toyota, right? Like he's so free for generosity because he knows the care and provision that he has in Christ. And do you know why these two brothers were fighting over this money, fighting over this inheritance? Because somebody died and they couldn't take it with them. And do you know why you don't have to fight over money and inheritance and material things anymore? Because Jesus died. And he gives you an inheritance that will never spoil, fade, or go away. He makes you heirs with Christ forever. Is that not good news? No, seriously, is that not good news? Then may that good news be your protection in this materialistic world to protect us from greed and coveting sneaking in and whispering in your ear and leading you to a foolish life. And may that good news be your motivation to be generous. Not because we're supposed to, because we're free to, because of Christ. May the outside world look in and see that our generosity is not brought upon by an obligation, but by a joy set before us because something better has been offered to us. And it allows us to open our hands to things that everyone else is clinging hard to.
And may other people see our freedom because of Jesus. And may they see our freedom in our generosity. And it's, it's so cool today. We get, we get an opportunity to witness some people professing that they get it, that there's more to this life than this life. That they get it, that, that life is not just about abundance of possessions. That they have new life in Christ. And they don't have to fight about the things that this world offers because they've laid hold to what God offers through Christ Jesus. To be forgiven of sins and to be called a, a son, a child of God and to have an inheritance with God forever. And there's going to be a video that kind of, uh, you get to hear some of their testimonies and then we're going to celebrate together as a church family their new life in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we love you and we know we can say that because you first loved us. And in your love, you, you, you declared it on the cross while we were yet sinners. And what you accomplished on that cross is our reconciliation back to you, calling us your children, giving us an inheritance. I pray that the joy of that salvation, the, the faith in that inheritance will be shown in our daily lives and how we look at the materialistic things that get dangled and lured in front of us each day. That we would not chase after those things because our heart is set on you and we're chasing after you. We pray this in your name. Amen.